Well, hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Lacey, and I'm part of the team here. And it feels weird to say, happy Good Friday. So um, I'm not going to start with that. But um, it does feel so good to be able to be here together and to sing and to declare things that are true and to remember what Jesus did. And, um, you know, in our faith, there are a handful of days that have a bit more significance than others and more weight to them in the way that we celebrate. And, you know, Christmas and Easter, those are a big two. And those are super fun because they're so full of joy and celebrating and hope. And, um, but Good Friday is a bit of a mixed bag because we're focusing on the middle, super painful part of the story um, because that's the place where we're at, the place where we're living in today. And, um, you know, one of the things, though, that I appreciate about Good Friday is that it's, um, I kind of treat it as a reset for my soul. I need a perspective reset um, really more than once a year, but at least I have this. You know, God knew that we would need rhythms of remembering because life just kind of drifts along, right? And one day bleeds into the next and we can become super busy, really distracted, and it's easy for us to forget the story that we are living in and this true story that we're a part of. And so God, from the beginning with his people, has always set these rhythms of remembering, whether it's festivals or feasts or times of fasting and prayer. There's these benchmarks in our faith where we come together as a community to remember and to focus um, so that we can then move forward in the way that we want, he wants us to. So the hope for tonight is that we can just do that, just reset our perspective on what Jesus has done and how the cross prepares us um, for what's ahead. And the scripture that I want to start in tonight with tonight is John 16, 33. So these are the last words of Jesus that he's saying to his disciples as he's teaching them before the next events just start rolling. So the section of scripture um, from John chapter 13 to, to chapter 17, that's called the farewell discourse, okay? So this is Jesus. He has his best friends that he's been with for three years. He has them together. They're spending this quality time together, and he is reinforcing and reminding them of all of the things that he taught. Um, I kind of imagine it like in the same way as like a parent, we have a little one. And so whenever we're about to drop her off somewhere, we're like, okay, Ruby, remember, we say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, thank you, please, like, use your manners, we love you, we'll see you soon. We're reminding her, taking those last few minutes in the car to remind her of the things that we want her to remember. Or I would imagine um, what it's like dropping a kid off at college. You know, you have that date set, and so then the months and then weeks leading up to that date you as a parent are like, okay, I need to remind them of everything that I've tried to instill in them since they were a kid, reminding them of who they are and where they come from and how to make wise choices. And so when we look at Jesus's words, we look at, at his words of like, this is like a parent like preparing his kids for what is next. And it is really big, what is next. Um, you see, he knew what was happening ahead of time. Um, but they didn't know yet. And so we're looking at this last summary statement um, that he says, and he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. 
you will have suffering in this world. Be courageous, I have overcome the world. Then I'm gonna read another translation because I love that one too and I couldn't pick. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. See, Jesus had told his disciples pretty plainly what was gonna happen. He told them and was trying to prepare them, but they did not get it. Um, they did not see the suffering that was coming. And so later on in the story, when their night takes a hard left turn, they are shocked. But Jesus knew that they would be shocked. You see, in our modern like Western culture, the, um, the most controversial thing that Jesus says is that he is Lord, right? Because like, we don't want to bow down to anyone. Um, but in ancient times, the most controversial thing about Jesus was that he suffered. They had no framework for a God or a king that would choose to suffer. And so when the disciples saw the way the story was going, they were completely blindsided because they were treating him as their king. They expected him to rescue him in the way that they expected to be rescued. See, in the same way, Jesus, with those words, was preparing us because he knew that we were going to be blindsided by our own suffering that would come our way. In the same way, I have Jesus' words that I can study and that I can memorize. I know what he said, but gosh, I am caught off guard when suffering happens, right? Like, our lives, we believe, are just meant to be happy, and head in the direction that we're planning. And any suffering is a total interruption to where we were headed. And so I like to skip past it as quickly as possible. I don't want to stay in that place. I want to get on with like my real life, the one that's supposed to be happy. And so Jesus knew that that would be our mindset. And um, this is the part that I don't like is that he promises that there is going to be suffering. It's like, I think it's probably his worst promise. Um, but per our experience in life, we also know that he was telling us the truth. Like no one gets out without suffering. And so there's also a promise attached to that though. The, prom the promise is that we will suffer. And then the challenge is that we are to take heart, that we are to take courage. And we can do that because he has overcome the world. He's like, this is what's gonna happen, this is how you face it, and this is why you can face it. So we have Jesus' words to hold on to. His disciples had his words to hold on to, but we need more than that, and so Jesus also showed us. He showed us what suffering looks like, and um, he experienced the worst that suffering and evil had to offer, and he looked it straight in the eye. See, suffering has a way of revealing what is true. Um, if you guys have walked through anything, you might, you might know that when you've experienced suffering, you find out who your true friends are. You also find out what your true character is. And you find out what it is that you actually believe about the story that you're living in. What is true about that? So we're going to look at some of the events of Jesus' worst day 
and see what comes out of him. So in our first scene, um, the one that I just described with his disciples, we have the Last Supper. So as you can imagine, he knew what was coming. And so there is anxiety and stress about that, but yet he chose to, t- to spend that time teaching and preparing and encouraging his disciples. And then when he was done doing that, he spent his time praying for them. And then he prayed for us, for all those that would believe. And then the next scene, we move into the garden. So him and his disciples go into the garden like they often did. And in the garden, he was overcome with grief. He knew this big, horrible thing that the time had come. And so he spent that time praying. He spent that time, like Corey shared earlier, just wrestling with God, saying, if there's any other way, like, let's not do this. But then he submitted to God's will, and he asked his friends to pray with him. He invited people into his pain. And then he's betrayed. So while he's in the garden, Judas, one of his best friends, comes up and betrays him and gives him away. And what Jesus does is he peacefully just goes along with it. He uses great restraint. When his disciples want to fight and pick up a sword, Peter cuts off the ear of a servant. Jesus bends down and picks it up and heals him. Then he has a trial. The trial has multiple parts to it, all of which he's being mocked and beaten and accused of things and lied about. And this is the part where I think it's just crazy, the power that we see in Jesus, because the power of restraint that he used is just kind of unbelievable, right? Like, we don't have restraint when we're, like, responding to someone on the Internet. But Jesus used full restraint when he could have stopped all of it. And in his worst moments of agony, these are some of the things that he said while he was on the cross. This is what actually came out of him. So in Luke 23, 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. So he's praying to God on behalf of the people who are killing him. And then in Luke 23, 39 through 43, so he's crucified between two criminals, two people that are guilty. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Do not fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. So as him being innocent, hung there, next to someone who was guilty, he promised him paradise and gave him peace and a coming freedom. Then in John 19, verses 25 through 27, it says, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. So again, 
as he is dying and being crucified, he looks out and he sees his mom and he makes sure that she's taken care of. In Matthew 27, 47, he cries out and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he's calling out to God. But if you've been here through um, this sermon series, you also know that he's quoting a psalm there. And so he's using this as a teaching moment for the people that are around him because he knows that when he says that, they're going to remember the psalm and they're going to recall the scripture and what is true about God. And then in Luke, 40, uh, Luke 23, 46, Jesus calls out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. So he saw that everything had been fulfilled. And then him, with all the power that he could have used, he chose to commit his spirit. And so I don't know about you, but that is not naturally what comes out of me when there is suffering involved. Um, no matter if it's little or big. In fact, the little stuff is sometimes even worse. Um, I don't have a slide for this because we know we don't need to memorize what happens to us when suffering comes out. It's a lot of whining and blaming. Maybe there's anger, making excuses, avoiding, hiding. There's martyr syndrome that kicks in, um, passive aggressiveness and disconnecting. I'm sure you've got a list of your own too. But that doesn't have to be what comes out of us. What does it look like for us to take Jesus' words of preparation seriously and to take heart and to have courage when there is trouble? And I think that it looks like this. So a few months ago, I got a phone call from my dad saying that my mom had fallen and was on her way to the hospital. And it turns out that she had fallen, she had broken her hip and her elbow and was gonna have to have surgery and was just in crazy amounts of pain. And she also has MS and so that just adds like a layer of complication to any kind of medical stuff and recovery and all of that. And so um, when I finally was able to get to the hospital, I got there and she had been in truly excruciating pain for 24 hours, hadn't slept, was also in just a lot of emotional um, and mental pain too, just knowing that this was gonna be a really long road to recovery and like we've been in these situations before and it seems like there's been enough. But there is this moment that I will never forget because I walked into her room and the first thing that she said to me, she's like, oh, Lacey, I'm so glad that you're here. Okay, can you go over there and grab my notebook and pen? So I grabbed her notebook and pen, and like, because she couldn't write. And so um, she's like, I need you to get some things down before I forget. And um, so to back up, in January, she felt like God put on her heart a challenge to pray for strangers. Um, and so anyone that she meets out and about, she just starts talking to them and asking them how she can pray for them. And then, this is key, she prays for them. And so she has this notebook that's full of names of strangers that she's praying for. And so she has me get the notebook out. And again, as she's there, like, not even speaking super well because she is in pain. 
she's like, okay, write down these names. And she's going over the names of everyone that she has interacted with in the past 24 hours, from ambulance drivers to doctors to nurses to aides to people that were coming in just to take her to have different tests done. And she gives me their names, and then she lists out all of the things that they asked for prayer for. And so I'm writing down these things that these people who I don't know, they're just a name to me, but it's like a family member who has cancer or an estranged child or a daughter who was um, deployed and in the Navy and a mom that's really worried about her. And so as she has been laying there all through the night in such, such pain, she is connecting with the pain of other people. And they are sharing their hearts with her. Like, I, I do not know why they were so compelled to be so honest with her, except for that they were able to connect with her pain and know that she meant it. And, you know, sometimes I look around this gathering of people on Sundays and I'm overwhelmed because I know some of your stories and I know what you've been walking through and I know what you're currently walking through, and it's overwhelming to see the way that you have taken heart and had courage. And so when you come here together, we are living that out. We are encouraging each other because we serve a God that shows us what suffering looks like and a God that has overcome all of it. You see, we cannot choose whether or not we suffer. We can only choose how we respond to that suffering. And so tonight, as we are remembering and taking time to pause and let it soak in as much as possible for us to absorb, we are remembering a God who left comfort to be with us, who chose to suffer who chose to die for us. He's the one that can connect with us in our pain. And he wants us to remember that there is going to be suffering, but to take heart because he has overcome it all. And so in a few minutes, we're going to take communion together and we're going to sing a few more songs. But before we move on to that, I just wanted us to take a minute. We're going to take two minutes actually. So we're going to take two minutes, and we're just going to be quiet, and we're going to reflect. You can write stuff down if you want, type notes in your phone, but there are just these two questions that I want us to reflect on so that we can have a good perspective reset heading into the rest of this weekend. The questions are, when life is pressing in, when life is stressful and everything is coming at you, what is coming out of you? And then how can remembering the cross change our perspective? So Laura's going to play, and we're just going to set the timer for two minutes as you reflect. And then I'll get back up here, and we will take communion together.
Okay. Um, now we're going to take communion together. So um, if you did not get communion when you came in, just raise your hand, and one of our hosts is happy to bring one your way. So just keep your hand up until they come to you. They'll come find you. Um, and just so you know, the wafer in there is gluten-free, and it's grape juice. We've got one over here, one in the center here. And if you want to go ahead and pull the wrapper back and kind of get it ready, that would be great. So no matter how you answered the question of what comes out of me when they're suffering, whether you are really glad about your answer or not, this is the place where we start. This is how we get to that point. We do it by remembering. And what's cool is that Jesus gave us this tool in that same dinner with his friends. This is what he taught them to do. He gave them a ritual, something that would unite them, that they could come together and do to remember him and to remind themselves of what was true and what he said and the story that we're living in. You know, there's tons of different um, traditions within our faith, and so different communities of believers take communion at different times all throughout a year. Um, but what's really cool about tonight is that we know that all over the world, groups of Christians are doing this same thing. When Jesus prayed that prayer that I mentioned for us, for future, those who would believe in the future, he prayed that, that we would be one. And so this is one of those moments where we can kind of sense that. There are people all over the world taking communion and remembering tonight that are hiding in fear of their lives. There are people in this room that are walking through the hardest thing they've ever been through. There are churches full of our neighbors and friends all over town that are doing this same thing. And so I think it's a really beautiful way to honor what Jesus prayed for. And I feel like it's making him smile. Um, and so I'm going to read um, from 1 Corinthians 11, 23. Um, and we're going to take the elements together. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You can go ahead and take the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Go ahead and take the juice. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you that you have given us the opportunity to pause and to remember and to be so grateful for what you have done. God, it's overwhelming 
to think of all of the pain that you endured. It's overwhelming to think that you would choose to suffer when we're trying to get out of it as much as possible. God, we thank you for preparing us. We thank you for your words. We thank you for the example that you set for what can come out of us when there's so much pressure around us. So God, for anyone that's here that is currently walking through a season that's really hard, God, I pray that they would be encouraged. I pray that they would take courage in what you have done and knowing that you are with them in their pain, that they are not alone, and that you have overcome it all. And so that one day, there is no more pain and no more tears. And God, for those of us that might not be in that season at this moment, I pray that you would give us the eyes to see the people around us who are, and that as your community, we would gather as one to be encouragers and people that carry each other's burdens. And so God, as we look forward to Easter morning, we are so grateful for what you have taught us in this painful middle part. And I pray that you would be glorified in our singing and that the words would remind us of what is true and what story we are living in. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.